Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you all on this Thursday, October 1st of 2020. Yes, this is the beginning already of the month of October 2020. And uh, we are so happy, and we want to welcome all our listeners that are tuning in from wherever you find yourself. We thank the Lord for uh, uh, for your lives and for you to uh, and for you tuning in with us today and being able to uh, decipher the word together and find uh, clarity and, and find answers in this hour that we need. As I was uh, meditating a little bit this morning, I, I just felt that I, I needed to encourage somebody, the listeners. I think many times when we get in, uh, in contact with these podcasts, there is a joy and an expectation. And sometimes the enemy will throw things to distract you, and then you'll lose one podcast, and then you're behind. And, and sometimes that can get frustrating, maybe to some people. But I just want to encourage you to keep tuning in, to keep listening, because uh, the devil doesn't want you to listen. The enemy wants to stop you, amen, from uh, getting the word that you're receiving. But even if you felt like you've lost that fire or, or that enthusiasm, just continue on. Continue to press forward. And I know that you will be encouraged. You see, you know why? Because there's nothing better. There's nothing better than the Word of God. The, the Word of God is the only place where you will find the answers that we need in this hour. So I just wanted to say that to encourage you, because I know sometimes, uh, you know, we can get distracted. Sometimes uh, things may come up and and hold us back, and then we're we're down two or three podcasts. But I just wanted to encourage somebody. I felt like doing that this morning. Today in our panel, we have uh, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, and as always, it is a pleasure and, a, and an honor to be able to study the Word of God. And so, Brother Marty, we'll leave it to you as we continue in our quest, as we're speaking about the four abominations, and uh, uh, we'll let you share whatever God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. Today we pick it up again. Uh, <clears throat> we're going into the four abominations uh, that... Uh, that were revealed to the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, again, we've been talking about uh, these are the last days of Judah and Jerusalem and the temple. And uh, they're approximately five years away from the ultimate destruction of the nation as a whole. And they would not return again for another 70 years after the events of the destruction would take place. But the prophet Ezekiel was in his house he had been there now uh, approximately six years. And uh, Brother Jeremy, uh, we're, we're going to have you read uh, Ezekiel 8.1 again just for context. But but uh, before we get in there, we encourage the people to uh, open their Bibles and uh, sit down and, and, and follow along in the Word of God as we go along in our study today. We covered uh, the the first abomination, which was the seed of jealousy. And then the, the actual image of jealousy, uh, which was placed at the door that leads to the to the brazen altar. And uh, we we encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast uh, beginning on Monday if you if, to catch up, um, because we're we're, uh, we're we're progressing today uh, into the second one, uh, a second abomination that is shown to the to the prophet Ezekiel. So, <clears throat> with that in mind, brother Jeremy, would you begin? Uh, if you don't mind, uh, at verse one, and then uh, jump over if you would, if you would, and read to us, please, 
uh, beginning with the sixth verse. And uh, let's see, read through the ninth verse, would you please? Yes. Amen. And it came to pass. In the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. Verse 6. He said, Furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committed here, that I shall go far off from my sanctuary. But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, behold a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold a door. Wow. And uh, when I had digged in the wall, behold a door. You know, it's really a, a, a sad thing that, that the Lord says here in verse 6 where you started uh, to, to begin the, the major portion of Scripture that we're looking at. He said that the behavior of his people, the, and, and really primarily what we were looking at at this point, is the behavior of the priesthood. As we talked about yesterday, uh, the seat of, uh, and the day before, the seat of jealousy was actually the the foundation platform that had been allowed to exist since the days of King Manasseh. Even when Hezekiah uh, refurbished the temple, uh, it, it was still it was still there, um, and and really it was the burden and responsibility of the priesthood to remove it completely. But apparently they failed to do it. And where it was located was at the north gate of the temple, which we talked about being a a figure or a type or a symbolic of of the sides of the north. Uh, according to the scripture, God dwells in the sides of the north. And we talked about yesterday in Ezekiel chapter 1, when Ezekiel first sees God, he sees him coming out of the north. And so when we explored the platform of, uh, of the seat of jealousy, we see that it's Set there, and it and it and it <clears throat> and it really, uh, as we discussed already, um, takes our thoughts back to to the original foundation of 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 sin, and and the rebellion of of that wicked one, uh, Lucifer himself, and and from there we were then taken even further into the temple where we see in verse five uh, that they have. They had put an image called the image of jealousy in the entryway that leads to the altar. And so <clears throat> we talked about that image and what it really was. That image is, was the feminine uh, image of, of Astarte or Inanna or, or, or Ashtaroth, uh, Venus. I mean, she's known by many names down through the ages, but she's the fertility goddess. She is the feminization, if you will, uh, of the house of God, uh, but but from the cultic point of view. And, and, and so what we first see happening there is that the priesthood has allowed this to happen. 
what blows my mind really is <laughs> is is the difficulty in trying to wrap your head around the fact that that this glorious temple the architectural plans which had been given to King David himself, who gave them to his son Solomon, and then this glorious temple that Solomon built, and we looked at it yesterday in in, uh, in First Kings chapter eight, when the temple was dedicated, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and and we talked about His glory, and we looked at the different scriptures of how He allowed, uh, it, it, for lack of a better word, a piece of the glory, a piece of Himself, the Shekinah glory. It was always present in the nation, and as long as his glory was present there, uh, the nation could not be, um, you know, destroyed. But what Brother Jeremy here uh, started off reading was that was that he tells the prophet what they have done here. Do you see what they do? You know what's interesting to me about that, brothers? It's almost as if God in his own house uh, is lamenting to, to the prophet as if he has no one to tell about what he's revealing to the prophet, what he's about to reveal to the prophet. And we know Jeremiah was there, right? We know that there were other prophets there, but but there seems to have been, uh, as we're about to get into this second abomination, things that were even hidden from the prophet Jeremiah. And he says that their behavior <laughs> has caused me, in verse 6, he says, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, that I should leave my sanctuary. And as we get into this, Lord willing, in the, in the coming days, and probably into next week as well, we'll see how God uh, came to retrieve the presence uh, of his own spirit, really, and, and uh, or the, of, of his glory. The angels make a way for it. They clear away, and uh, and it ultimately departs from the Mount of Olives, which we've, which we've discussed. So <clears throat> Ezekiel says here in verse 1, like we said, it's the sixth year, and we pointed that out before. This is the sixth year from the captivity. That's how he numbers the year. It's the sixth year. They've been in captivity now for six full years, and it's the sixth month. And we talked about the sixth month in the Hebrew calendar being the month of Elul. It's the month that is supposed to be a month of preparation of great introspection of a person's heart and mind as they prepare for the for the coming feast days of the days of awe the day of atonement and then ultimately the feast of tabernacles so this was a very important month and it's this month that the lord selected uh, to reveal to the prophet ezekiel what it was he was showing him and what we've been discussing in chapter eight here that that he showed him and as we talked about in verse 3, can you read verse 3 again, Brother Jeremy? Uh, just where uh, yeah. you can end uh, you can end with the uh, visions of God in Jerusalem. Just read the okay. middle. Uh, first part, yes. Yes. And, uh -huh. he, and he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem. <laughs> so again, what we're talking about here is, is, and we've discussed this already, when, when, when the hand of the Spirit of God took Ezekiel by a lock of his head, 
um, it, it literally, uh, what, it, what it really means is that the Lord removed him, his soul and his spirit, and carried him in the wind of God. The spirit lifted me up, he says. And, and it has that idea of, of, uh, of being carried by the wind, that same wind that would come on the day of Pentecost, you know, the, the sound like a mighty rushing wind. It's that wind of God that carried him soul and spirit. Um, his body remained in Babylon and uh, wouldn't return for another <laughs> for another three chapters. But uh, but what he was carried away to see, and we talked about the significance of being lifted between the heaven and the earth. Because what we were seeing and what we were discussing is is what is being revealed to Ezekiel is that the sin of the nation had reached a point of such a, a, an egregious nature that it no longer was simply sins of the flesh, no longer was it uh, you know uh, the, the the things that you know every that is common to every person. This was a collective sin uh, on multiple levels. Uh, and 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 it was of such a nature over time, and it culminated into this that it literally transcended the earth and pierced in between the heavens and the earth. That's why God had him uh, carried in between the heavens and the earth. It's it's very symbolic. It, it speaks of the sins reaching into the next dimension, piercing the veil of the material into the realm of where principalities and powers uh, dwell. And that's where he brought him, and he carried him in those visions uh, and, and brought him, and we've discussed the first thing that he saw. But he said to him in verse 6 that, that, that he should go far off from his sanctuary, that, that the behavior of the nation, the behavior particularly of the ministry, was of such a nature that, that he would have to withdraw his presence. But if, as if that wasn't enough, as we've been talking about, there are three additional things that he's going to show him. And, and, and that's what we're going to look at today. Because the Lord says to him in verse 6 uh, that I should go, off, go far off from my sanctuary. He says, but, but turn yet again, and you will see something worse than what I've already showed you. A greater abomination is how he described it. <clears throat> And so the Lord in verse 7, could you read verse 7 to us again, Brother Jeremy, please? Yes, Brother Marty. I would just like yeah. to comment on, I just please think do. it's so powerful and, and sad, you know, when whenever we read that, that it caused them to go afar off from my sanctuary. Mm. I mean, it, it tells you the process, it almost like he, like reluctantly, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is not the way I wanted it. But this is the way you wanted it, you know. Yeah. And and I think about over, over the years, I think we've been seeing the same things here in America, you know. And I think a big sign of that was 2001, right, with the uh, um, what happened and took place in, in September of 9/11 of 2001, and we've been seeing it. Uh, uh, and this is where we're at now, you know. And I just. You know, I just want to tell the listeners, not something that uh, it's powerful. And, and then it's going to get even worse. But just that little part, to know that mm -hmm. he was going afar off from my sanctuary, that is a sad picture. 
Could you imagine a nation without the presence of God, without the hedge of protection of God? We will be just like any other nation, you know. And I, I just, just pondering on that as as we go into these next uh, abominations. And you said verse seven, I brother think, Marty. Well, yeah. Wait a minute. I, I think that's a really yeah. good point. You know what you just brought up there, uh, because he didn't say that I would. He said that I would go far away, <laughs> right? Like you said. Yeah. Yes. That's really. That is really He's talking about going to heaven. And absolutely leaving them to themselves, you know, and, and their ultimate fate. And it is like that, Brother Jeremy, where he's saying, do you see what they do? You can really sense the heart of God. And it breaks my heart, you know, because, yeah. uh, you, you, you know, we pray that we never grieve the spirit of God. We yeah. pray that we never do anything like that. But we also see the grace of God here. Because mm. as he as he's revealing why he's leaving, it also at the same time reveals how long he waited till he left, right? Mm-hmm. Wow! It's it's almost as if you know the sin reached right up to the holy of holies, and he said, "That's it. You know, I have mm. to leave." I, I you know, so it wasn't something. I think that's why he takes him and starts him in the outer court, right, and begins to bring him into the house. Uh, is because yes. he's showing, right? He's showing him all along the way that this reached right up to the very edge of my sanctuary. That's how far wow. the sin came. Amongst the leadership now, right? Where we continue to emphasize this is the people of God that we're talking about. Yes. You know, brothers. Uh, go ahead, brother. Please. No, no, no. You know, I pointed out a few podcasts ago how when. When when God showed Moses the uh, the plans of how to make the tabernacle, and I believe this is from Exodus 25 to Exodus 40, it's yeah. it's not an accident that the tabernacle is built inside out, not outside in. And the first thing that He's commanded to make or is the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God was, right, the Holy of Holies. Yeah. And uh, I, I, we have to understand just how precious and important that is the foundation of everything, you know. It's where his presence is, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was not the last thing that was built. It was the mm-hmm. first thing that was built. And it was only found in the Holy of Holies. So just a quick yeah, reminder of that. No, and that's right. And, that, and I was just thinking about that too, Brother Jeremy, because... Um, you were talking about the plans that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, yeah. right, of how to build the tabernacle in the wilderness and the typology of it. And then he enlarged it, right, because <laughs> I'd never really thought about it until you were talking about it before, but even though I've said it many times, that the, the, the temple, the actual temple, uh, was the, the architectural plans were given to David, right, uh, and, and yes. And I have, and I don't really see that happening anywhere else, you know, in biblical history, except to Ezekiel. Ezekiel will be given the plans for a new temple, a heavenly temple. He's he's allowed to see a temple that will not be built by men, and it will it will not be subjugated uh, to the whims uh, of men, and and their their holiness or lack thereof ever again. 
when the book of Ezekiel concludes, it concludes with the, what they call the Messianic Temple. And, and uh, I actually have the architectural plans of the Messianic Temple, uh, which is really incredible. Uh, the actual thing that God, you know, allows Ezekiel to see. And that's why we were talking about the grace of God here. We see uh, how long, like you said, Brother Jeremy, the Holy of Holies, you know, it, it, it's the most sacred place of all. And 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 the fact that Ezekiel was shown uh, how that the sin reached all the way up to just where the sanctuary is indicates the long journey of of the of the exhausting of the grace of God in many ways. You know, it wasn't something like you said, brother, that uh, he wanted to do. It was something he had to do. He couldn't. He could not. He could not abide there with his presence uh, because of the things that that they had done. I, I you know, I, I we're, we're going to go on here, but I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on this because it has always intrigued me as I got into deeper studies over the years. What is it that that so penetrated these men the the priesthood that they that they couldn't you know walk with god you know i we all have problems right but this is this is so blatantly bad (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) i just i've never really understood it it's sin i guess right and i think yeah go ahead you guys have anything any thoughts on that? I mean, what uh, we know that this has been coming for 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 decades, right? It's been it's been the unfolding of you know uh, of time and maybe familiarity too, and and a carelessness. I think you know Jeremiah revealed it again. Could you read that to us again, Brother Jeremy, in, in, in Jeremiah twenty three, verse eleven and twelve? Three. Seven, twelve. Here we go. <clears throat> For both prophet and priest are profane. Yeah, in my house have I found their wickedness, saith the Lord. Wherefore their ways shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein. For I will bring evil upon them. Even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. Yeah, so there Jeremiah is revealing what Ezekiel is seeing. You know, God revealed it to to uh, to Ezekiel, but he he showed him the behavior. Right? It's incredible language that Jeremiah used uh, because he said both the prophet and the priest. That's a heavy word. Are you still there, brother? In, in twenty three uh, of Jeremiah. Yes. Can you look up the word profane and tell us what that means? Yes. It means, it comes from the word shanep or kwanef. Uh, It means to soil, especially in a a moral sense, to corrupt, defile greatly, pollute, profane. To be corrupt, to be polluted, to be godless. 
that's heavy duty, man. I mean, we're talking prophet and priest are are that whole list that you just gave us. That that came from Jeremiah concerning them. And 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 the Lord says, In my house I have found their wickedness. What does the word found mean, Brother Jeremy? What what's the definition of that word? The word found. <clears throat> it is comes from the word matzah. The word matzah. And it is uh sorry. There we go. It means to come forth to to appear or exist, uh to attain, find or acquire. Uh, before, uh, let me see. That's incredible. Okay, so so it means to come forth or to appear, right? Those are the first few words you said. Yes. So here we here we have again uh, hints by the Holy Spirit of 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 the energy of wickedness. What God is literally saying, apparently here in His house was was more than just men being stupid, you know, and messing up. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the quality of 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 the darkness they've allowed themselves over time to be overtaken by that has caused uh something that can be seen in the realm of the spirit. I have found it has it has come before me. It appears right, in his house. That's incredible, man. And so he goes on in verse 12, right? What is uh, In verse 12, it says, Wherefore their way shall be unto them as slippery. What does that word slippery mean? Slippery. It means, um, okay, properly something very smooth, a treacherous spot, Mm. flattery, slippery, Smoothness. So no sure like footing, in the, right? There's nothing to, mm-hmm. to stand on. Uh, but what what I find interesting is verse 12 because this is this is the description of what we're seeing here. We're going in to see, we're, we're about to see the the hole in the wall, and Ezekiel's going to dig in it, and what he's going to find there are these prophets and priests, these ancients of Israel. Marty? Yes, sir. Um, the word matzah. Uh, where something is found before the presence of the Lord is the same word used in Ezekiel 28 where it says, uh, verse 15, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. Mm-hmm. The iniquity was found. That's matzah yeah. in thee. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's good. I- I'm-, I'm glad uh, Brother Fernando pointed that out. I was just in that verse right now. Because that's what it reminded me when it says both, uh, not necessarily prophet, when it says both prophet and priest, you reminded me of, uh, it reminded me of um, the uh, Lucifer in time past before the foundation was a sort of, was a priest. And and that's what the Bible says about him because you were asking the question, how does one um, get to that point? You know, what we read here in verse 11 in Jeremiah 22, 11, in my house have I found their wickedness. Well, that's what God, that's the same thing that happened to him. What Brother Fernando just uh, 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 read, that was perfect in thy ways from the day that that was created till iniquity was found in thee. Where was it found in thee? Where, though? What is it speaking about? Where does this begin, you know? In the thoughts, possibly? 
I don't know, but but something was found in him just telling us two things that the Lord uh, <laughs> searches, right? And he right. found, mm-hmm. he found the wickedness of this cherubim who was a, who, who, who was a, a, a sort of priest, right? Right. Uh, iniquity was found in there. And then you can make that correlation to what we are speaking, what, what we're studying about today and what we have right now in mm-hmm. Jeremiah 23. You asked the question, what, what causes, you know, the ministry, ministers to enter in this, into this kind of wickedness and iniquity? Right, it's 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 something that we marvel at. Um, the scripture says that th- th- these men were ordained of old unto this condemnation, you know. And how they make that decision, if it's a wi- uh, willful decision to enter into that kind of, uh, you know, uh, iniquity and sin uh, of the life that we're leading of, you know, one can only speculate. But uh, again, once that that kind of dark sin is found uh what scripture tells us and if we if we really dig into it is that god will begin to close himself off from this kind of iniquity he, mm-hmm. almost like he sets up boundaries to yeah. to to cast it or or to 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 so that that sin cannot enter into uh, uh the the holy places of god um right. The Bible says there's a wall of partition. There was a wall of partition that Jesus did away with, right? That stood yeah. between us and God. God closed Himself right. off from from the sin that that began with the evil one, right? Yeah. So in essence, what we see in the removal of God's presence from the temple is He beginning to close Himself off because the same kind of sin that He found in in, in the enemy in the very beginning is beginning to manifest itself in the very temple. Therefore, God has yeah. Therefore, God has to close Himself up. Like He's like it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, this kind of sin. It's it's, uh-huh. it's ancient in nature, right? It's it's, yes. it's dark and it's evil. Yes. Yeah, because it's destructive, and and right. and it see and and what did we see happening? Right? He said, "I have to go far away from my sanctuary." Because what did they do? We, we've been we've been on this for three days actually, right? I mean, they brought the image right to the entry where the brazen altar was. What was left was the holy place and the holy of holies itself. But he moved before that could happen, right? He moved out of the yeah. way, but it got that yeah. close, right? We we also we also get an insight too on what took place in Satan's uh, Lucifer's. It says thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of mm-hmm. thy, thy brightness. And then in verse 18, it says, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so we know where it initiates, you know? Yeah. And once yeah. that wisdom is corrupted, it, it defiles really what we're talking about here, right? Uh, yeah. To the very presence of God. And that that's, uh, which is very interesting because, you know, if you if you take the book and 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 read it out, you know it's 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 not by accident that that in Ezekiel twenty eight the the very description of of, of Lucifer himself is given. You know, uh, put, because it, it it it's the whole story. It, it appears is about the corruption of the priesthood by the very devil himself. <laughs> 
because you guys right. just right, you just pointed out to us that uh, the word found the same prophet, is, right? The same yeah. prophet is writing uh, this both accounts. Is yeah. he relating right. the two? Yeah, I think, I think so. so. You know? Yeah, I really do. And uh, <laughs> and so that's that's what that's what happened. You know, he says, uh, but what he talked about in verse twelve of, of Jeremiah. He said their way's going to be slippery. There's going to be no sure footing for them anymore. And uh, 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 let's see, unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. So it's they they won't be able to to understand what's happening because he goes on to say they shall be driven on. You know, they're going to be propelled in a direction uh, that is that is really that that overtaking of, of who they were. It explains why he goes on as we go back to Ezekiel 8 and now look at this. It's why he says, you know what, Ezekiel, there's greater abominations, right? <laughs> that right. you need to see. And and I find it interesting, brothers, uh, and since you and you brought up Ezekiel 28, uh, that this sin, which he calls even greater abomination, it's from the most ancient among them, right? Which you, because mm-hmm. that's what you, that's what you called it, brother Fernando, an ancient sin, an ancient evil. And so it, it, right. it goes without, right? It goes without saying what they're about to do and what they have been doing, the ancients of Israel. So in verse seven, he says he brought me to the to the door of, of the court. Again, that's in the north. And when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. Now that hole uh, was a small opening, and and we know by the Spirit of God carrying him all the way there, in between the heavens and the earth, to show him what he's seeing in the spirit. That the wall, the the, the hole or the access point, wasn't discernible any other way. In other words, this the secretedness of what they were actually engaged in was so well hidden uh, that it required God revealing it in the spirit to the prophet. And we talked about uh, the hole in the wall. Uh, first of all, the wall itself is symbolic. The wall is meant to represent a barrier, right? It's supposed to be a protective shield from outside forces. And, and yet... <clears throat> Uh, and and to keep and, and in God's house, it's meant to keep influences of the demonic uh, temptation out, and the influences yeah. of of the lower nature of the flesh out. But what's being revealed to the prophet is is that there's there's a breach in the wall, <laughs> spiritually right. speaking, right? And uh, and that's a scary thing, right? So uh, the, Ezekiel has shown the hole. It's an it's an opening to the incredible demonic presence of the enemy himself. This is satanic, right? Like incredible. you were saying, Brother yeah. It's satanic. There's there's no other way around it. This isn't just again. We're emphasizing the the kind of sins that we're talking about here are satanic in nature. They're sins of the flesh, but there's like Brother Jeremy, you read in in, in Jeremiah 23, and you read in Ezekiel 28, Brother Fernando, the, the same word found. In the and and that word uh, means to to uh, to appear, right? It means to come forth. 
It means to almost it's for lack of a better word, it materializes as a as a substance of energy. I don't know how else to say it, but it's destructive. And it's meant to to rebel, which is what they ended up doing, you know, against God. It's it's a it's it's sin of a of a different quality. And I hate using the word quality, but you know, of a different nature, I should say. It's not just simply the sins of a man, of his flesh. It's the sins of a man who knows the word of God and has been trained in the things of the temple. And then when they crossed that line and began to engage in the very things that God forbidden them to engage in, it, it merged itself with them and produced something. You know, James kind of mentions that, right? Let's go over and look at James real quick. He uses that descriptive language of what sin is. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you there, Brother Jeremy, in James chapter 1? Yes. Can you read to us 13 through uh, 15? Yes. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So what James reveals here is very, very incredible. And and we, we've we already done a podcast series on this whole section here. But again, in light of what we're talking about here, verse 15, uh, it, it, it's the drawing away in verse 14 of a man's own personal lust. And, and so he has something in him, a predilection or a predilection, is that how you say it, predilection toward it? Uh, he, he, uh, he's, a proclivity, proclivity, I think it is. Or a proclivity, yes. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, and 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 he's drawn away of his own lust. There's an insight there as to what goes on by uh, who does the drawing away. You know, he's telling us it's not God who's testing you or tempting you. He says God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. So we know this is satanic. But and 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 the mm. devil looks for the lust and then begins to entice. But that's that's a whole different thing still. It's still the sins of the flesh. It's still his own sin. But then it says this in verse 15, then when lust has conceived, that is the language of of uh, of a man and a woman, you know, uh, 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 giving birth to something. You know, it, it's the conception act. Then it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. When it says that I have found it or iniquity was found, that's the conceiving. That's the miracle of life right in the womb. But this is this is different. You know, something is conceived, it's born, it's birthed. And, and when it comes forth, it becomes an entity all its own. That's what happened here. That's what destroyed this nation. That's what brought them down. That's what destroyed the elders and the ancients and the priesthood itself. 
somewhere along the line, I've read I've read in, in commentaries where it talked about that the sin of of Manasseh about a hundred years before this, and he ruled for about fifty five years, I think, was so incredibly bad <laughs> trying to be nice. Uh that even when King Josiah finally came on the scene and led a national revival, which revival Jeremiah witnessed, by the way, the, the, it's, it's as if the Bible reveals that the sin itself had gotten so into the the spiritual DNA, I hate using those terms because they, they so abuse them nowadays, of the, of the collective nation as a whole, which is why under the under the revival of Josiah, it was a surface revival. If you remember when you when you start reading the book of Jeremiah, contemporary with Ezekiel, with he, uh, it starts off by by uh, God asking Jeremiah, "What do you see?" And he says, "I see the rod of an almond tree, right?" And he said, "I see a boiling pot coming out of the north." He he was seeing the rise of the global empire in the midst of a national revival, and so what God was revealing was that the people were acting as if they were trying to return to God even in the days of Josiah. But the truth of the matter is, is that in their heart, kind of like this hole in the walls here, they never really let go of the things that on the outside they were acting like they had let go. It was such an egregious sin. So so it, it permeated through the decades. And and, and it's it's reaching its culmination here to the point where God is now having to go far away from his sanctuary. So the wall, he says, uh, in verse 8. Can you read verse 8 to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. door. So now he tells him to dig into the wall and when i had digged in the wall behold a door uh, what this symbolizes is is god revealing uh what is hidden now here's where and and, and, I, and i pray the lord helps me to say this the right way um here's where i see the parallels for our time because again i keep re-emphasizing that Ezekiel is a prophet of the captivity. He's not like a Jeremiah. He is receiving his prophecies while he's up under captivity. He's receiving his spiritual revelations here under captivity. And what's being revealed is the impending judgment that will come precisely at a much deeper level in the personal behavior of the leadership they weren't taken captive they were still the hierarchy in the temple god's rulership right but but the captivity is where the origination of this kind of revelation uh, uh began from the position of being captive he was now able to see correctly what was happening at the temple establishment complex, really, which is bringing down the wrath of God on that nation. I think that what we what we have witnessed so far at the beginning of this year, uh, with 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 the COVID nineteen, with the shutdowns, with 
with the uh, closing of the churches, with the with all the you know the riots, the violence, and all that we're up under right now, the fires, the I mean, we just go down the list. Um, but a completely uh, crazy thing that's been happening that has has really begun to separate um, those that have understood that this is the hand of God. Remember, Jeremiah was sending letters into the captivity, which you can read in, in Jeremiah 29, which Ezekiel would have had access to. And Jeremiah told them, understand that you are in captivity and you're not coming out. The whole world has changed for you, people of God. And so so what needed to be understood then, if that's the case, and Ezekiel uh, in this vision uh, testifies that he's in his house six years into this captivity, what needed to be understood was that they were not going to go back to things the way they were. And so they needed to settle in and allow that to become a reality for them, but yet from that position, begin to understand what is actually transpiring, what is going to be the conclusion of the matter, and and what will be the the fate of those that have yielded to this captivity. They understood by the prophet Jeremiah, it's the hand of God. In Jeremiah 24, like we talked about before, there were two baskets of figs that were set before the temple. There was a basket of good figs and a basket of bad figs. God showed the prophet this in order to reveal to him that in essence, the captivity was actually the the merciful hand of God to separate the people from this kind of religious uh demonic thing that was going on in the midst of their nation in the name of God. They clothed themselves in religion. They clothed themselves in the oracles of God. They're the ruling establishment. They're the caretakers of the word. They're the big publicly viewed, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) leaders of the house of God. But yet you have this entire, uh, you know, thousands of people that have been removed from the scene. And early on, there was there was all kinds of, you know, uh, false hope and false words. Remember Hananiah? We went through that series where we talked about Hananiah and Jeremiah's, you know, confrontation in the temple. Hananiah was saying that, you know, the captivity was going to end after two years and everything was going to come back to Jerusalem. Hananiah ends up dying. And now we're six years into it. And, and none of those words came to pass. And Jeremiah sent letters to them telling them, Go ahead and settle in because this isn't changing. The whole world has changed for you. But in essence, God has protected you. And and it's from there that clarity would be given and revelation would be given by the Spirit of God to the captivity. Because remember, when Ezekiel finally comes back from this vision, back into his body in chapter 11, he then tells the elders that have been gathered in his house what exactly he saw in Jerusalem. It's incredible. It really is to me. And so when he says dig now into the wall, uh, it's, it's, it's very metaphoric because what that means is that it's all going to be exposed, right? 
what's being exposed is the utter corruption and filth in the house of God that had to be exposed. And Ezekiel's going to take that message back and tell the of the captivity, the people of the captivity, this is what's really going on over there. This is what's really going on. And and if you have ears to hear it, man, that's what's going on in this country. There is a separation taking place. There is an utter corruption that has taken place. It is so far beyond the scope of of people who don't have demented minds to even think that there could be this level of of rebellion in the very national leadership of spirituality in Israel and, and subsequently in our times as we see the parallels are striking. So digging in the wall symbolizes that it's going to be exposed by the true prophets of God who understand that a captivity has come. They're in the captivity already. And again, I know they're out there. You know, we're just students of the word. Brother Jeremy is the only real minister here. You're the pastor, right? So so we're we're grateful for, for, for the men of God like Brother Jeremy. But there's so very few people, men of God out there anymore. And the prophets. Where are they? And the preachers, where are they? You know, all we do in these podcasts and all we have done is is seek to to share with those that are listening from the perspective uh, of just brothers in the Lord. And really, the truth of the matter is, is that the early church was like this. They met daily. They broke bread. They talked about God. There was no superstars. There was no theatrical presentation of the word of God, right? You're going to say something, brother? Yesterday, you made a, a great point, and I want to just remind the, the listeners that at the end, you just briefly describe why a wall is put. A wall is, is a type of, of protection to set a boundary, right? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> you gave those examples. So what makes this even more... Um, uh, I don't know, devious, I don't know what other lack of word I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, is that they had penetrated and gone beyond that boundary. Yes. This um, this desolation, this uh, thing was happening inside within the boundaries that God had, had placed, right? Yes. And uh, th- that's what makes the sin so great, the abominations, because it wasn't, you know, out it was in the inside. That's why the you know uh, it, as we get closer and closer, you will see in every abomination, uh, God is telling him, "You want to see even greater abominations? Let me show you." So mm-hmm. it talks about a progressive um, and deeper sin. You know, they yeah. definitely had crossed the boundaries. Yeah. You know. So yeah. uh, that's why this sin, that's why God had to remove his presence in himself or far away from his sanctuary, as the Bible says. Far away. Well, he went all the way back to heaven. I mean, that's what he ended up doing. And 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 once the presence left the territory, uh, it was just a matter of, of, of time until they were fully surrounded. 
and ultimately destroyed by, by the global empire and the foreshadow of the Antichrist, Nebuchadnezzar himself. That's how close they were. We're past the midway point now. It's the sixth year, right? Uh, which means there was only five years left, or give or take a few months. Actually, it's well into the sixth year, the sixth month and the fifth day. So they really had like four and a half years to go, somewhere in there roughly, before the whole thing would be burnt to the ground and Jeremiah would sit on the rubble and, and lament, write the book of Lamentations. So what you said there is really good, Brother Jeremy, because it, our attention is being turned towards the most ancient of uh, of the elders, the the the, the, the seventy. They're they're a type of the Sanhedrin, you know, the the Sanhedrin, the the seventy elders that that Moses spoke about. But what we see here is is what you talked about. The walls walls are meant to keep things out and keep things in, right? <laughs> so what what you said is very profound because even this small opening was enough and very symbolic of the fact that an opening or a breach had occurred within the house of God led by the very leadership that should have been not only taking care of the house of God uh, and 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 instructing the younger priests underneath them the levites uh and and so forth and so on dealing with the women who we'll talk about tomorrow and and the and the 25 uh, the, the abomination three and four, uh, they did none of that. As a matter of fact, they're the source of it. They're the source of this this cancer that spread throughout the, the nation that absolutely corrupted the ministry and corrupted the families. They were the ones who, who created the opening and they allowed it to filter into the house of God. It, it's It's an incredible thing. It's like water, you know, in a dam that begins to break the water begins to seep in it has that idea but then he show he shows him a door after he he exposes uh, and has to dig uh, it, he he shows him a door behold a door he says in verse eight that door uh it, it's you know a door is something that has to be milled right <laughs> has to be designed uh, but it's only one door notice right it's a door nonetheless it, it, it's a it's secrecy to the entrance, and it's meant to preserve the hidden. So there's no other access point. There's one door by which they would enter. And and then he tells him what, brother Jeremy? Could you go and read that to us in nine and ten? What does he see? And he said unto me, Go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw. And behold, every form of creeping things, an abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. Yes, and please read verse 11, I'm sorry, as well. And there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jehazaniah. And the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. It's incredible because when when God brings Ezekiel here and he tells him to go in, uh, it's precisely at the moment that they're engaged in this idolatrous behavior, this wicked behavior. 
this isn't just one devil here. They got every devil known to man in there. You know, they 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 carve these. God describes them as the creeping things, the abominable beasts, and it says, and all the idols of the house of Israel. You know, the the, the people's own personal, uh, you know, things that they were worshiping themselves, and the word portrayed upon the wall round about. Um, they literally carved images into the wall. They carved them. They made they made decorative, you know, uh, things out of them. And then uh, the idols. They also had idols in there where they or they were they were offering incense to it and to them. It reminds me a lot, you know, uh, of, of of the principle of God. If men will not honor God, He gives them up to what they really want. And, and here is what we see. Uh, it's a truth that the Apostle Paul spoke about. You you read a little bit of it yesterday. Could you read that to us, Brother Jeremy, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 23? Yes. 21 and 23. It says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him, not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Exactly what they did, right? They 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 sought not to retain God in their knowledge. And when you go on from there, uh, you know, Paul reveals the the nature of, of what that gives itself over to, right? The the rise of homosexuality, the, 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 the women giving up the natural youth and 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 the men doing shameful things with men, he goes on to say that that's what was permeating the, the culture of their time as well. God even called them Sodom at one time, you know, spiritually, he said. So here we are, and and and, and Ezekiel is allowed to be there precisely at the moment when they're, when they're engaging in these things. So what do we see then uh, is, is, is in verse 11, these are the, the ancients of the house of Israel. So when God... Uh, originally instituted these 70 it was all the way back in the days of of, of of Moses when he had him select 70 elders to represent the whole of the nation so God allows the prophet to see uh, the whole nation through through the eyes of uh, or, or through the vision of seeing these 70 that's why he continually talks about the house of Israel because they represent the whole house and if the leadership is like this, you know the people are as well, which is what he goes on to reveal. But there's something really interesting here in verse 11 where it talks about the leader of them all. Uh, his name is Jaazaniah, right? In verse 11, it seems that God draws our attention to him. As it says, and there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel and in the midst of them stood Jaazaniah the son of Shaphan 
or Shaphan. But he draws our attention to this particular person. His name is kind of, you know, interesting because his name, I think his name means God heard or God hears. Could you look up his name, Brother yeah. Jeremy? Yeah, I just looked at it. It means Jehovah hears. Uh-huh. So, he indeed he does. <laughs> he or heard of Jehovah. There you go. Yes. So, yeah. uh, but this, what it was difficult to find, but I think I found, I did find, he's called the son of Shaphan, or Shaphan. And this is, this is really interesting to me because it represents a generation, uh, you know, a transfer of generations, you know, like we've seen take place in our own country. You know, uh, from in in the charismatic Pentecostal and even in the denominational world, a transfer of 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 religious authority from father to son. But who this his father was is very interesting. Brother Jeremy, could you read who Jaazaniah's father was in Second uh, Kings uh, chapter twenty-two, verse one through three, please? Yes. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedida, the daughter Uh, of Adiah of Bafakat. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe to the house of the Lord, saying, So this Shaphan is the father of Jaazaniah, and and Shaphan or Shaphan uh, was the scribe to the house of the Lord. His father was was a man of the word. See, and and he was a great help to Hilkiah the high priest and Josiah in safeguarding his 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 kingdom and ultimately helping and assisting in the revival that took place in the years of Josiah. Look what it says about him. Uh, he he uh, he 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 dealt faithfully. Uh, read verse eight, would you, brother, to us? Yes. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the books of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. He was entrusted by the, by the high priest. To, to read the book of, of, of the law of the Lord. It had been lost. The temple was in such disrepair by the time that Josiah becomes king after his father Ammon dies uh, that, <laughs> that, that, that it, was, it was like if somebody, if, you, if you'd been reading your Bible and, and uh, you know, and, and you gave it to your son, you know, and he, he carried on the tradition, but by the time it gets to his grandson, uh they've lost the Bible, right? It's somewhere in the attic or something, you know, and and only a good spring cleaning revealed something. That's kind of what happened here. (laughs) 
a good spring cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> when Josh, yeah. when uh, when uh, Josiah became the king and and they were cleaning up the house of God, Hilkiah finds a book. It's the law of the Lord, the original scroll. And so we see that he turns the scroll over to Shaphan the scribe, and, and he's entrusted with it, and he read it. And then, read, could you read verse 9 and, and, and uh, 10 and 11 to us, would you, brother? Yes. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, The servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work and have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass that when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. Incredible. He understood that this is the beginning of the great revival under the kingship of Josiah. And Shaphan was an, uh, or Shaphan, however you want to say his name, was an integral part, an anointed vessel of God, uh, entrusted by the high priest, strategically placed by the Spirit of the Lord to to be used as part of the uh, machinations, I guess is how you say it, that would start the wheels uh, uh, and the gears moving in the direction of the greatest revival that Israel had ever seen since the days of Hezekiah. Josiah would uh, would institute the greatest revival. Shaphan or Shaphan was, had, a, had, a, had a major role in this. He actually yeah. read the words of the Lord. He read them before he read them to the king. So we know he was a man of the word. And then he reads them to the king to give him a sense of it. And so, uh, and, and the spirit of God hit Josiah in such a such a way that that he rent his clothes in in lament and mourning, realizing how far the nation had slipped. And so he was an integral part in bringing about this great revival with Hilkiah and the others. So when we get to the ancients of Israel, this is a this is a a, a, a generation removed now. It's Jaazaniah the son of Shaphat. So once once the anointing or the responsibility of the leadership within the house of God transferred from from the older generation to this new breed, he God draws our attention to him because he's in the middle of it. That's what it says in verse 11, chapter 8, verse 11. Can you read that again one more time, Brother Jeremy? Of Ezekiel. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel, and in the midst of them stood Jehoshaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. This is what the Lord is trying to communicate here, it is, is to show how egregiously rebellious the the new generation had become and 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 the devil used this man Jazaniah who came from a godly stock right i mean i mean his father was an integral part in bringing about the greatest revival and the removing of idolatry only now to have his son 
influencing, because it says he stood in the midst of the 70 ancient elders of Israel. And, and they all have their censor, right? A type of the expression of prayer and worship. This brother, <laughs> he's not my brother, but you know what I'm saying. This dude, man, his dad, <laughs> I mean, his dad was an awesome, an awesome man of God. But under his leadership, he literally influenced the very elders themselves to allow this level of uh, of idolatry and wickedness to take place in, in a secret place, which they created themselves. This is astounding to me. This is, yeah. this is incredible, right? Because it's a lot like mm-hmm. today, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes. In, a lot. I saw it. You know, I studied, uh, and I thank God, you know, for the two years he allowed me to do, you know, at a particular mm-hmm. uh, institute of ministry, you know, where the focus was pastoral studies. And, um, but it's also sad what uh, I witnessed. And a lot of these were what we call PKs or pastor's kids or minister or evangelist kids. And, yeah. and you know, I, I knew their fathers to be great preachers of the word great men of God and sometimes what you see around uh, wasn't pretty the new generation you know uh, had a different mindset uh, they 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 put aside you know the old ways you know what I'm saying as, as legalistic as you know blah 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 but you know I, I got to see it firsthand you know these were the young people that are, that, are, that are now in position. Think about this, because this was about, I don't know, 20-something years ago that yeah. when I went. These are the ones that are now in position leading our denominations, our churches, uh, and they have their contrary, a lot of them, not all of them, but mo- a lot of them are contrary to the godliness of, of, of what their fathers built up with prayer, with sweat with preaching the gospel, the pure gospel. Now it's been um, replaced with like pop psychology with, uh, you know, the dimming of light, you know, with, with a different um, a different course yeah. that is different from their parents. But yet, because they were pastor's kids or because they were their children, they were afforded without ever sacrificing, sweating, praying, they were giving keys to churches, to things, you know, to salaries yes. that they never, yes. it never caught. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah. That's just a little bit about what we're talking about. I know it's much deeper, but that's just a little, a little uh, oh, it's, taste. It's a, yeah, it's a heavy thing we're talking about here. So that's the good, though, what you're saying. That's that's about, <laughs> but, but you mentioned about how they, their church services now, they're the whole reworking of how the expression of the Lord is presented to the people you know, uh, and what they do in secret. I mean, we could really dig in here and talk about the influence of Jaazaniah, you know, uh, as, as as one that, that, that fell greatly from the standard of his father who loved the Lord and was, was an integral part uh, and component in the greatest revival that, that, that Judah, Jerusalem and the temple had ever seen uh, under, under King Josiah. His father was an integral part along with Hilkiah, the high priest, uh, into bringing about that great revival. But here we have him in the midst, and it's as if God is saying his influence was of such a nature 
as to completely contrast what his father did. And like you said, when you what you witnessed in your in your theological training, well, many of those children were children of pastors who had different ideas about how things should be done. And what this Jaazaniah did was bring an influence into the ancients, the elders, who should know better. But they, they gave way, and that's why God says he's in the middle of them. And, and everybody's worshiping this new way. You talked about the dimming of the lights in the churches nowadays. Read verse 12. I know, I know it's just ironic, uh, verse 12. Mm. It says, then he said unto me, son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the, in the chambers of his imagery. Mm -hmm. They say the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. So they do what they do in the dark. It is, mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, that's what we see in our church services today. You know, the, the, the hip, the hip churches, right? You know, the, the Hillsongs, the Bethels, or, or, or just name any, any, you know, mega church in your city. Mm -hmm. They, 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 why are they plunging the congregation into darkness? Is it is it a reflective uh, presentation of of a of of a door hidden behind a wall? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, I think it is. You yes. know, because because what what's running rampant in the church is is some pretty bad stuff, man. <laughs> so, anyway, it is reflective, uh, though. You're right. It, it is. First time I ever experienced that was in Jackson, Mississippi. I went to preach with uh, with a preacher from Africa there to this uh, this church. They had probably a couple thousand members. This is back in goodness, 2000 and I think it was 2000 and 2005 or six somewhere in there. Uh, and it was in Jackson, Mississippi. And I remember uh, we showed up to a church with our Bibles because that's what we do. And when we came to the church, uh, you know, it was, I mean, I literally needed a flashlight to find a seat. It was so dark in there. And the only wow. thing you could see, the only thing you could see, they painted the walls black, for goodness sake. The only thing you could see was the platform presented as if you were going to some, you know, you were, it was a night at the opera or some kind of Broadway play, right? <laughs> and then, and then, that the guy comes out, and I don't want to go too far off topic here, but the guy comes out and uh, strikes up the band, and it's so loud and and so incoherent, and and all they were singing about was waterfalls and, and butterflies and mountains and stuff, you know, and they throw God in there every now and then, and uh, and then every now and then uh, from off the platform would come uh, smoke. Wow. You know, to 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 set the the mood. You know, it's supposed to represent the glory of God, right? So, so I'm talking to this guy after the service, and uh, and he had to, I forget what his official title was, but I asked him, "What is that?" And he says, "Oh, I'm the I'm the uh, I'm the anointed person for for the fog machine." I mean that was an official title, right? I mean, and he said every time I the feel minister. the spirit, <laughs> that's what he said. 
every time I feel the spirit, he says, I'm supposed to press the button <laughs> and let the smoke out. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, now uh, it's funny because, uh, you know, we, we laugh because it's just, it's, it's just ridiculous, you know, and now what's very popular in church is the countdown. Ten, nine, eight. Like, you're supposed to see this big spectacle of some sort. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, right. It's ridiculous. It, you know, uh, you're right. They, they give them names. I'm a pastor of uh, of arts now. The pastor of uh, technology. Uh, yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or in one, yeah. I was in Orlando, Florida, at one of the most famous evangelists in the world's church. And uh, I went to a meeting there in 19, golly, 1989. And uh, all the big wigs were there. And uh, I, I ran into this guy, and it said on his, he had a tag on his shoulder, on his chest that head catcher. And I wasn't sanctified yet, you know, so I... I <laughs> <laughs> I just went out and I was so mad at how they were doing things and I just went up to them and I go, oh, what, what are you? Do you, well, you, you play for the softball team or what? You, you have head catcher, right? And uh, he, he said, no. He goes, uh, I'm the one in charge of catching people when, when they're slain in the spirit. Said, oh my God. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, the, it's the spirit of Jaazaniah, man. That's what we see. Influencing the ancients plunging plunging the whole house of God and worship into the darkness. Do you see what they do in the dark, he said. They do it in the dark. Brothers, you go to any any church, even the little churches now are doing the same thing because they're imitating what they see from the big churches, whether it's in Bethel or even in uh, in Houston, that boy over there in Houston, you know, uh, the, the ah shucks guy who never preaches the word. He plunges his church into darkness every every time, every single time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. But see, and you have you still have the ancients, uh, so to speak, elders who should know better still alive today, but they've been mm-hmm. influenced by this Jaazanite, right? They've been influenced, and and in in essence, metaphorically speaking. And and the parallels for our time, they've allowed all sorts of creeping things and idols of the house of the church in America to to flood flood the church. It's what's driving, uh, you know. It's 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 that it's that it's the it's the uh, gasoline to this this compromised engine that we're all experiencing. But again, remember this. That's why God had a captivity taken away and removed from the scene. His people, his remnant. He said he talked about, do you see what they do in the dark? Every man, verse 12, in the chambers of his imagery. Literally, that, that means that it had seeped down into the whole of, 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 of what was remaining of Judah, Jerusalem, and, and the surrounding territory there. It extended to the private individual, in other words, and the imagery was what they were dealing with in their own thoughts, in their own minds. It, 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 it's, it, it's very involved, but you get the picture, right? But, but what is this? And, and to me, how this would apply to us today, the last thing they say is that the Lord doesn't see 
and the Lord doesn't care, <laughs> right? He's forsaken the earth, mm-hmm. and there is, but he he sees us not, and and he really doesn't care. He's he's not he's not around, and 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 how we would apply that to today, and and this should convict all of us. Is there's a pervading doctrine that has overtaken the church over the last ten, fifteen, twenty years of this hyper grace, hyper, you know, permissive thing, uh, you know, doctrine that that basically says no matter what I do, God doesn't care. He doesn't look at that. You know, it's all just Jesus, right? It's it's just it's it's just it's all under grace. He doesn't see. He doesn't care. Not true. You gonna say, brother? <laughs> nope. It's true. It's a it's a false grace. It's a false doctrine. It, in, in their day, it, they 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 didn't they had the attitude that God doesn't really care what we're doing. They had that attitude, and they literally believed they were entitled. Like we read yesterday. Can you read that again to us, brother Jeremy? What we read yesterday in chapter eleven. Uh, verse 15. Yes, of Ezekiel. Yes. Okay, 11, 15. It says, Son of man, thy brethren, even thy brethren, the men of thy kindred, and all the house of Israel, holy are they unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get you far from the Lord. Unto us is this land given in possession. Right, unto us. But this belongs to us. It's our right. Uh, yet over here in, in chapter 8, they're saying God doesn't care. God doesn't see. Yet it belongs to us. It's incredible, you know, where they were at. Uh, but God goes on to encourage Ezekiel and talk about the captivity. I guess we could close with that. And we'll pick it up from here tomorrow as we as he shows him even worse things than this, he goes on to say. Uh but he, he he makes a promise in verse 16 and 17 to Ezekiel. What does he say? Of chapter 11, I'm sorry. 11, okay. Go back to, uh, it says, you said, uh, what uh, verse again? Uh, 16 and 17. By the way, Brother Fernando brought this up uh, several weeks ago, and, and, and here we are again uh, to kind of bring a close to where we're at here, you know, because we could paint such a doom and gloom picture here of everything just, is a mess and it is but he has a remnant and and they're under captivity yeah. and, they, and they understand that they're beginning to understand this is the hand of the lord the separation is taking place we talked about the good figs and the bad figs which you can read about in jeremiah 24 we talked about a captivity that had to come to grips with the fact that the whole world had changed and that a global power was rising a foreshadow of the antichrist and that the, it was better for them if they understood, like what the prophet Jeremiah had sent them letters telling them, look, you, you, you know, lay low, man, because <laughs> because if you do, God will take care of you and protect you. Uh, but if you fight against this thing, mm-hmm. your your ultimate fate is is is, is going to be sealed uh, with those that are that are destroyed and judged. But when 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 Ezekiel is about to be taken back, God promises him. Uh, something for the remnant and that's a promise for us today as well and brother jeremy uh could you read that in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 11 yes therefore say thus saith the lord god although i have cast them 
far off among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Is God. So in their day, what he was promising them is that this, that, that this would result in them being uh, regathered after a certain period of time. And that prophecy indeed did come to pass. They did come back. But this also spoke of our time. Because he talks about all the countries where he had scattered them. That was a, that was a prophecy of, of how Israel would be regathered in the last days and, and be restored to the land where he says in verse 17, I will give you the land of Israel. That's what's happened. We've seen it in our time. And that's why we draw parallels uh, for, from these historical uh, narratives uh, as to what we see transpiring right now in this country, in this nation. Uh, the parallels are striking. But we want to encourage you, like, like Brother Fernando, uh, you, you, you talked about this, about being little sanctuaries, right? Little houses of worship, so to speak. That God will yeah. be a sanctuary to you. Could, you. could you just close us out with your thoughts on that, what you shared before about the little sanctuaries? It was God's intent to always um, be in the midst of his people. And whenever that which God intended initially um, is corrupted, which was for him to dwell, uh, you know, uh, above the mercy seat between the two uh, cherubs, um, it was to, to be uh, in relationship with his people. But whenever that which was meant to be corporate, to bring a nation into the presence of God is is uh, corrupted. Then God reminds us individually what it was always intended to be, and that's why He made that statement. He says, "Look, um, you know, because when the Jews would pray, they pray facing towards the temple as a reminder, and 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 them not having the temple and making that little place where they were at in captivity." Uh, a, a, a little sanctuary was a reminder of, look, what you're doing right now individually, alone, is what the temple always was meant to be. <laughs> That's good. But it has been corrupted. But you know what? I'm here with you. I'm there wherever you kneel. I'm there wherever you make a little sanctuary. You know, but it was speaking of something in the future, right? It was speaking of New Testament uh, yeah. worship, right? That that he would dwell uh, inside his people, the body of Christ. But if we bring it to today, that's exactly what's taking place in our nation. The churches are closed. That which God meant uh, to, to, you know, which he meant for us to come to him and, and, and to his presence, to come to church. Those, those places of worship are closed. Those places of worship have become like the temple of old. And now we find ourselves in our home, you know, making little sanctuaries, <laughs> seeking God. Yeah. Amen. 
seeking God with our with, with our families on an individual basis, you know, and He's reminding us again what it's all about. Are we coming back to the heart of worship, where it's all about Him? Right. Yes. That's one thing about Jacob. Uh, Jacob always erected a pillar, right? Yeah. Where as a reminder of where it all began. And that's really what we're doing right now. It's, it's we're erecting an altar right now, wherever we find ourselves, as a reminder of what true worship is and what God requires. Praise God. That's awesome, man. Wherever you're, you know, uh, wherever you're at, you that are listening, I wanna, I don't wanna leave, but maybe that's your prayer. Wherever you're at, wherever you find yourself, you could just lift up your hands and say, Lord, I want to be a sanctuary pure and holy, tried and true. You may say, you know, man, I I don't have a church to go to. Well, let me tell you, wherever you're at, that is a sanctuary. The Bible says, where there are two or three gathered in his name, he's there. You can be a sanctuary where God can abide. Don't matter where you're at, it's to know that he lives inside of you, his presence. Know ye not, know ye not, that ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we want to encourage you that um, you can be a temple, a sanctuary where God can dwell. We pray you've been blessed today. We pray that you join us tomorrow, uh, Friday as we continue in our study on the four abominations found in the book of Ezekiel chapter 8, I pray that something that has been said has challenged you, has encouraged you, and given you, uh, you know, challenge you to seek the Lord and draw closer to him. We pray the Lord bless you. We pray the Lord keep you. And as always, keep looking up. <laughs>